0: If you've been a student of social science, it's almost imperative that you must have read or heard of uh, Imagined Communities, a book by Benedict Anderson. It's a masterpiece if you were to learn about uh, group behavior and uh, how communities are formed and how we get a sense of community, a sense of group in our society. It's a wonderful, wonderful book and uh, I would suggest you to read this book and today in this podcast I'm going to read a few pages from this book and I hope you'll get some idea what this book is going to talk about. So let's start. No more arresting emblems of the modern culture of nationalism exist than cenotaphs and tombs of unknown soldiers. The public ceremonial reverence accorded these monuments precisely because they are either deliberately empty or no one knows who lies inside them, has no true precedence in earlier times. To feel the force of this modernity, one has only to imagine the general reaction to the busybody who discovered the unknown soldier's name or insisted on filling the cenotaph with some real bones. Sacrilege of a strange contemporary kind Yet void of these tombs are of identifiable mortal remains or immortal souls. They are nonetheless saturated with ghostly national imaginings the cultural significance of such monuments becomes even clearer if one tries to imagine say a tomb of the unknown marxist or a cenotaph for fallen liberals is a sense of absurdity avoidable the reason is that neither marxism nor liberalism is much concerned with death and immortality. If the nationalist imagining is so concerned, this suggests a strong affinity with religious imaginings. As this affinity is by no means fortuitous, it may be useful to begin a consideration of the cultural roots of nationalism with death, as the last of a whole gamut of fatalities. If the manner of a man's dying usually seems arbitrary, his mortality is inescapable. Human lives are full of such combinations of necessity and chance. We are all aware of the contingency and inelectability of our particular genetic heritage, our gender our life era, our physical capabilities, our mother tongue and so forth. The great merit of traditional religious views has been their concern with man in the cosmos, man as species being and the contingency of life. The extraordinary survival over thousands of years of Buddhism, Christianity or Islam in dozens of different social formations attests to their imaginative response to overwhelming burden of human suffering, disease, mutilation, grief, age and death. Why was I born blind? Why is my best friend paralyzed? Why is my daughter retarded? the religions attempt to explain. The great weakness of all evolutionary or progressive styles of thought, not excluding Marxism, is that such questions are answered with impatient silence. At the same time, in different ways, religious thought also responds to obscure intimations of immortality, generally by transforming fatality into the continuity, In this way, it concerns itself with the links between the dead and the yet unborn, the mystery of regeneration, who experiences their child's conception and birth without dimly apprehending a combined connectedness and fatality in a language of continuity. I bring up these perhaps simple-minded observations primarily because in Western Europe, the 18th century marks not only the dawn of on the age of nationalism, but the dusk of religious modes of thought. The century of the enlightenment of rationalist secularism brought with it its own modern darkness. With the ebbing of religious belief, the suffering which belief in part composed did not disappear. Disintegration of paradise, nothing makes fatality more arbitrary absurdity of salvation nothing makes another style of continuity more necessary what then was required was a secular transformation of fatality into continuity contingency into meaning as we shall see few things were better suited to this end than an idea of a nation. If nation-states are widely conceded to be new and historical, the nations to which they give political expression always loom out of an immemorial past, and still, more important, glide into a limitless future. It is the magic of nationalism to turn chance into destiny. With Debray, we might say, yes, it is quite accidental that I am born French, but after all, France is eternal. Needless to say, I am not claiming that the appearance of nationalism towards the end of the 18th century was produced by the erosion of religious certainties, or that this erosion does not itself require a complex explanation. Nor am I suggesting that somehow nationalism historically supersedes religion. What I am proposing is that nationalism has to be understood by aligning it not with self-consciously held political ideologies, but with the large cultural systems that preceded it, out of which as well as against which it came into being. For present purposes, the two relevant cultural systems are the religious community and the dynastic realm. For both of these in their heydays were taken for granted frames of reference very much as nationalities today. It is therefore essential to consider what gave these cultural systems their self evident plausibility and at the same time to underline certain key elements in their decomposition.